All right, what's up, everybody? According to sources, I'm your guy, SD2 Mikes. I got my guys on the wings running this three-man weave. It is my guy, Chris Kaysen, at C4 Dunk, and my guy, Brian Crawford, B underscore Craw, number four, and D. Go follow him right now. Both of those guys, tremendous at what they do, and they definitely know the game of basketball. We want to talk about the Chicago Bulls, who have hired a new executive VP uh, operations and um, Karnaschovich uh, has made a lot of promises in the last couple of days. If I could, uh, matter of fact, let me see if I could pull up the, the exact quote, what he said. And I actually put it on my IG story. I was like, oh, man, this dude is, is talking big trash. He said, I will build a foundation worthy of the Chicago Bulls and the Bulls fans around the world. I found, I mean, he's been very bold, not only with his words, but with his actions. I mean, coming out flat out saying, look, I'm going to hire a black before it even needed to be said. And BC, you talked about it on the last podcast. It was something that didn't even need to be said. He could have just done it. So we know that we have the 10 part docuseries, The Last Dance with that 1998 Chicago Bulls team. Michael Jordan was on Good Morning America this morning. He talked about that before the season even started, it was called The Last Dance. You know, the season was given the title Last Dance by Coach Phil Jackson. He pretty much let everybody know, hey, this is it. Let's go out here and do this. So what, are you, what, what are you guys looking to get out of this 10-part series? Like, we lived it. It hits harder for us. goes a lot deeper. But with the rest of the world watching, what do you think that we'll pull from it that other people outside of Chicago and outside of the fan base just might not get? Uh, I think one of the first things that we'll get is, you know, you'll see just how competitive these guys were. Um, you'll see how hard they work. You'll see how hard they push each other. You know, not just Mike, but Scotty, Dennis, um, you know, just – Phil, you know, this is just just a championship team at work, you know, and, you know, a team. And so, they, you know, they took on a challenge. So I think just being able to kind of get a glimpse into that mindset and, 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 and how they thought and how they approached it, I think, you know, is what most people will get out of it. And, you know, and just a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, you know, now, you know, a lot of guys have uh, social media and, you know, you going to their homes and, you know, you, you hearing what they're talking about, you know, they sharing everything where, you know, it wasn't always like that. So just to kind of get a behind the scenes look of how things were back in that, you know, in that time, like a lot of the things that we didn't get a chance to see, um, I think that stuff would be cool. Yeah, uh, just going off of that, I think you'll get a chance to see actually, you know, all those stories about how hard Mike practice and, you know, basically that just made the games that much easier for him. So you get to see a little bit of insight into just how hard, not only how competitive he was, you know, in practices, but, you know, just how hard he drove some of his teammates. Um, seeing that and also the us 
us against them mentality. The team basically took on with um, the front office there. I mean, there's that quote where uh, Krause told Phil Jackson, you know, I don't care if you're 82 and 0, like you won't be here next year. So, you know, just to get a little bit more insight into that. Um, and, you know, I think that pretty much will lend itself into seeing, you know, why things have been the way that they, um, you just get to hear more of the stories of like how the team has been ran and, you know, just uh, I think the overall culture that was established back then of, you know, front office, you know, ruling, you know, basically with an iron fist. So I'm very excited to see that aspect of it. One of the things that I was always amazed by, and I forgot that this clip even even existed, they, in the locker room after the fifth championship where they defeated the Utah Jazz in 1997, Scotty and Mike are sitting there, and Mike looks at Scotty and is like, ain't nobody winning nothing until we quit. And that just goes back, like, who has, who, who has that type of mentality? Like, yo, like, what? Like, literally, we got this on lock. Nobody's getting anything until we quit. So to see just to just see that play out in a matter of one season, and like you said, everything we've seen from a preview standpoint, all the stories we heard, uh, even right before the season, I think that was a trade possibly of uh, they had to endure a Scottie Pippen trade rumor. I guess that included Sean Kemp, things of that nature, and some other things that Jerry Krause was doing before the, uh, before the season started trying to tinker with the team. And one of the things Steve Kerr said recently when he sat down with Rachel Nichols is he was like, people don't realize just how exhausted we were as a team mentally and physically, even before the season started. Like, yo, we were exhausted, <laughs> but we were committed to this last run and getting it done. So uh, you talked about a C4, and it's a perfect seg segue. Everything that exists now with the Chicago Bulls and a lot of people saying that the organization is the laughing stock of the NBA right now and how that was magnified even over All-Star Weekend here in Chicago where no one was talking about the organization. Everybody was talking about hoopers that came from Chicago and what basketball means to the city and the city putting on such a great show. It wasn't about the Chicago Bulls. So with all of that being said, how much of that can we truly trace back to that last season and what took place after with the dismantling of that championship team by Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf? Hmm. That's a good one. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think you know, everything about the Bulls is – as far as like being, you know, them being the brand, like not even just like an American brand, like they're one of the biggest brands in the world. Um, and I think a lot of that obviously has to do with, you know, that Jordan era, you know, and all of the, you know, all of the things that went on. And, uh, you know, good and bad i mean that was i mean that was stories that that situation that you could write something like yo like how it goes into the chicago bulls story it goes into the chicago bulls brand because a lot of that kept going and you know and and was maintained post jordan um you know you talk about a city like chicago with a, you know with just an absolute love affair of basketball you know as as fans it's it, it's kind of not even as fans, like as people who are old enough to remember that championship era, 
you know, to be able to see the fall and, you know, and, and, and the way that it's been, has been disturbing. So, you know, when, you know, you talk about, you know, basically reshape everything, you know, I think, I think he's old enough to understand like what that Bulls era was. He's old enough to, he played against those guys in the dreams. You know and so he knows what that is he's he's from the era now can he implement that that of it you know of, of trying to restore the brand trying to restore the feeling so all he got to do is just if, if he can do it great yeah i think he's coming into it with um, a great energy and you know keeping you know just what what that um that championship era meant you know, not only in Chicago, but, you know, globally, I think he's bringing, like, he's he's old enough to remember that. And uh, the one thing that I think the Bulls always got wrong is they they took that era for, you know, kind of granted, just because they're always pointing back to that era. You know, it's in all of the, it's in every marketing campaign they do. They talk about the six championships. Well, I mean, it was how long ago? And so they always carried that like air about them. And I think that linked itself into like putting a sour taste in a lot of other people's mouths. I mean, because when you look at the way that that team was dismantled, you know, just the ripple effect that had, you know, just through decades that did. It might have been uh, like all the smoke podcasts where he, or something like, I can't remember which one it was, but he talked about you know, Chicago and, you know, hey, if they did Mike like that, you know, why would I even have a meeting with those guys? And a lot of that's pretty much been like the the, the thought process with a lot of big free agents will look at how they treated like the other relationships they had through the guys who have come uh, through the pipeline in the last 10 years. Nobody has left here really with, you know, a good taste in their mouth. Everybody it's kind of been, you know, kicked in the ass on the way out the door, which is everybody pays attention to that. So I think just having a guy now who comes in who knows what this team means to not only the city, yeah. but, you know, he does have just an overview of how it's been ran and coming in with new energy. I think that's going to be good and the fans will buy in uh, quickly because fans here in Chicago have been looking for, you know, now he has that positive energy. Um, along with him. And I think, you know, we're all just waiting to see, you know, some of um, the things that he does start to implement as far as the front office and just get back to like a, a, a true culture. Rules of use that turn looking at it like, all right, well, what is the culture here? What are you building? It's basically been a culture of dysfunction. So, um, I mean, now having like a little bit of stability as of now, um, I do think having like people in place that other league executives respect with, you know, these free agents because the next couple of years are going to be pivotal, you know, if the Bulls can be a player, you know, in those free agent uh, meetings. It's funny because you talk about the us against them mentality that existed in 1998, uh, spearheaded by Coach Phil Jackson and that team. You guys were in the locker room for that 2009 to 2013 run with Tibbs and Derrick Rose, and it seemed to be a very similar mantra with Tibbs and those players, us against them. Uh, very similar. Do you agree with that? Is that something that, once again, just reared its ugly head in this organization, just 
front office against the players and the coaches. I mean, I, I think it's always been like that, you know, and that's pretty much the culture of the Bulls, you know, where it's like, you know, Jerry Krause, I mean, that's probably hanging on the wall somewhere in one of them offices, you know, where basically, you know, GMs win championships, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, you know, when that, when that statement got made, it was almost like the front office embraced it. And, you know, all of the players that came through, no matter how good they were, no matter how talented they were, they were disposable. And, you know, as you can see, there's a lot of players that come come in, you know, from some of it was, you know, rightfully so. Like, I don't think a lot of guys needed to be playing, you know, 40 minutes a night. You know, if you're blowing the team out, you know, guys shouldn't be in the last seven minutes of the game. So th there was some, like, um, pull and tug there, but um, I, it's kind of always been that way. I mean, we could go back to, you know, Scott Skiles era. We can go to the Vinny Del Negro uh, era with him getting choked up in the in the coach's office. It's always been like some level of tension between front office and um, the actual coaching staff. I mean, not not more so like less these last few years because you've had guys that pretty much like their friends. So you had a guy like Fred Hoiberg, you had a guy like Jim Boylan, who like company guys, they're not going to ruffle any feathers. They're going to do whatever they're told because they're, ha they're happy for the opportunity. Uh, I'm very interested to see um, the next two, two years, like what, what will coach, do they bring in a big name coach? Because that, coach does have to be kind of in lockstep with the front office in some capacity, you know, to be able to uh, have like a cohesive relationship. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting, but that's kind of how the culture of the Bulls has been established going back to that Krause era where, I mean, he was a very good talent evaluator. So he felt that, hey, without, you know, my genius, you know, this team wouldn't be running like this. But, you know, Phil Jackson had a point like, hey, me and Tex, offense is basically what has got us here. So um, it'll just be good to, like, kind of get to some type of cohesion now with front office and the coaching staff that isn't, like, buddy-buddy, but more so you can actually see, like, tangible results as opposed to, like, just one guy just saying all – trying to say all the right things. So when we trace all of this back to 1998 – both you guys, mm -hmm. what's the one thing that got the Bulls franchise to where it is today and to have the view it has around the league? What's the one thing? I mean, was it Derek's injury? Was it firing Tibbs? Was it uh, the post-MJ plan with Krause going out and get Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry? Well, I mean, just look at everything that's taking place. Is there one thing you can point to to say definitively this is when the ball really started rolling downhill for this organization. I mean, after the way they got rid of Mike yeah. Scott and Phil, the way they broke that team up. Wow. That's it. That's I mean, that's that was ground zero right there. And you know, and you know, and 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 you see how bad they were for a long time. Yeah. You know, and then they lucked up and get Derek. You know, they built that team around guys like Lou and Kirk Heinrich and all of those guys, Joe King Noah, you know, they and then they kind of fell back into it. Like, I mean, honestly, they it was accidental. They lucked up into that. And then Derek got hurt, and they kind of set everything back. But then again, that's when you start seeing how little they value 
their players, you know what I'm saying? So, like, you know, the whole Luau day with the spinal tap, you know, releasing Derrick Rose's, you know, status of him working out and, and, and not going in front of it and telling fans, listen. But, you know, again, that, you know, when you talk about culture, like we said earlier, that was the culture of the team where the yeah. players are expendable. Management is the one who basically builds these championship teams. And so it's it's been run like that. But, yeah, you know what I mean? After they broke that team up, nothing that they did after that, especially the way they treated players, it not surprise anybody. Yeah, I mean, that that's basically where everything starts. I mean, it probably starts, like, I think a year before that, even with, you know, you look at, you know, Pippen was always complaining about his contract. You look at just a lot of things that, you know, were kind of under wraps back then just because media wasn't as big as it is now that could have derailed, like, any that like especially that second three peak, you look at all the issues that were going on with that team. Uh any anything could have derailed it for them to keep it together was amazing. But like BC said, I mean you look at we can go back to guys that they've drafted. Everybody here has kind of left with like a bad taste in their mouth. We can even say Kirk Heinrich. Here's a guy who was traded to Washington, yeah. came back. They told him he was going to be here. Then they ended up trading him. You know, then he eventually retires. But you look, you go to Ben Gordon, his contract situation. Look at Luau Dane. They, you know, with the broken leg in the playoffs, I mean, they're basically just saying that, you know, he had a bruised bone in his leg. You look at, go to the Eddie Curry contract situation. Um, yeah. All, there's all of these things that just lends itself to, like, this is a team that's not for – it's players, they'll do whatever is good for the organization, but they don't treat their guys right. I mean, you go back to the Luau Ding, the, you know, the retirement, the, I think it was like a, basically a mock celebration. They showed them on the Jumbotron for a few minutes and, you know, that was it. This was pretty much supposed to be a Luau Ding night. You know, guard form is not there. So there's just so many things that lent itself to, you know, guys looking away from Chicago when it came time to free agency that nobody ever like really seriously looked here. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's been that way for such a long period of time. And, you know, you just had this, you were wondering like, when, when is it going to get back to, um, you know, where superstar, but they had to draft really well, which, you know, they were able to do some years and other years just like with every team you hit or miss, but that going back to just how they kick Mike feel out, you know, you look at what that, that did for not only the organization, but the Bulls as a global brand. I think they just took that for granted. You, you never going to find another Michael Jordan at all. Like, I don't care what type of team building you do. Like you're never going to be able to recreate that. And I think the Bulls got arrogant enough to think, well, Hey, we put that together. So, you know, I can go ahead and throw something else together and be successful edit again and you see how long it takes just to be able to capture that lightning in a bottle. So that moment and just, you know, front office arrogance has led to, you know, what the Bulls have been the last few years. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that was pointed out, we had someone on ESPN 1000 that had seen all 10 episodes and they were like, man, you're going to be shocked how deep uh, the animosity between Mike and Jerry Krause really ran going all the way back to when he moved Charles Oak. It was there. 
it had always been there before they started winning championships. And once they started winning, it was just only magnified because both wanted credit. And I think Mike Greenberg said something very interesting. As egotistical as Jerry Krause was, the one thing that he can never take credit for when it comes to building those six championships was Michael Jordan. Like that was the one player he could never say he's here because of me. Everybody else, he could say my yeah. fingerprint is on that. MJ was the only one that he couldn't point to and say, look, I drafted him. He's here because of me. And I think that ate at him because, to be honest, and I said this on Twitter and Facebook, tongue in cheek, but, you know, some truth to it as well. As iconic as that team is and was, it's on the back of one man. And I'm not talking about other players not adding yeah. to it or being important. It literally, the legacy of the Bulls and that iconic brand is on the back of one man, lightning in the bottle. You'll never have another one to come along like that. The closest thing we've seen to him is Kobe, and we just won't see that. And like We had an inkling of that when Derek came along, but we just never got to see what it could be because of injury. And like you said, it's just really fragile. When you look at it, how iconic the brand was, they took it for granted. It was fragile. They thought it would last forever. They thought they could just rebuild it. And no, it doesn't happen like that. Matter of fact, if Portland doesn't take Sam Bowie, it never happened. Like, I have no problem with Houston taking Hakeem, but Portland very well could have taken Michael Jordan. Then what? It's like, man, when you talk about legacies and being iconic figures and teams, all of that stuff is totally fragile. I hope our tourist, Karnaschovic, can come in and definitely right the ship and uh, restore some of the iconic feeling in the organization and give the city what it deserves. Like he said in that statement I read at the beginning of the podcast. So 10 part docuseries starting on Sunday night, ESPN parts one and two. You're listening to According to Sources with BCSD and C4 right here on A2S Network. So the NBA uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. C4, we talked about it a little bit. CBL, the Chinese Basketball League, was set to restart their season. And I believe they were had played a couple of games and they had to shut it down once again. COVID-19 has resurfaced over there in China after about two weeks of no cases. And it's to the point now where the NBA, Adam Silver, they've sat, they uh, had a teleconference with the president of the United States, Donald Trump, to talk about possible scenarios We know that the NFL draft is going along as scheduled on April 23rd. But as of right now, sporting events with a large mass of people joining together in stadiums at close proximity, I just don't see it happening this year. And if it does happen, maybe the NFL late fall going into winter, maybe. And with that being said, should the NBA just go ahead and just say, look, this season is a wrap. We'll try to get it done starting in the beginning of 2021. I mean, I don't really know what they're waiting on, to be honest with you. I mean, right. it's, it's not like we've been out two weeks. We've been going on two months. Right. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's basically, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure they have. I mean, I've, I've seen videos like AD, like I know they've been training, but it's not basketball. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if you're not going to allow people in the arenas, um, I, I think honestly it has a lot to do with season ticket holders. Don't cancel the season, you know. You keep them in limbo with that bread and 
So, you know, these teams that have to pay all these season ticket holders back is asking itself because they already ain't making no money. So, I mean, I don't – I mean, that's the only reason I can think of what the holdup is. But this season should have been – I think they should make it now in some weeks. Yeah. I think that's kind of the reality that I came to accept. So, I mean, I don't I don't know why they're dragging it out. Like I said, other than not, not wanting to officially cancel, so you got to get people their money back. Yeah. I can't see any other reason why they haven't already done it. Yeah, I l- also look at it as a t- thing of, like, Adam Silver, you know, doesn't want, you know, a season to go by without, you know, crowning a championship. I think, you know, having a season where you have to put, like, a, a asterisk or something and say, you know, could not complete. I don't think he wants that on his record. But when you just look at everything. It's not his fault, though. Yeah, exactly. So, but, you know, still, when people look back in history, like, I'm pretty sure that a little bit of ego is there to not, you know, want to have a season without crowning a championship. But even when you look at, all right, say you can start in, you know, June, June at the earliest. I look at guys who've been out of basketball for three months. So even if you do this little two-week training camp, like every every basketball fan knows, like the first, I would say like three to four weeks of the NBA regular season, there's some pretty horrible basketball being played because guys are still, guys are just now really like fully getting into shape. So you do this two-week training camp, guys really aren't going as hard as they are because the games haven't started. You do like what five five games of the regular season into you know if you're a, if you're a player on a losing team, what incentive do you have to play those five games before you know you're done and you know you're going to your real vacation and then the guys going into the playoffs right now is when they're at their peak they're at the they're in the best shape they are they're clicking and now they've been basically sitting at home for close to two months. I just don't see it feasible uh, I mean it sucks but I really don't think that there should be, um, you know, any basketball being played. I mean, that that goes, I think, for sports, you know, the remainder of this year, you play games in empty stadiums. I mean, I guess that's okay, but, you know, still you have to have all these tests available for guys because this virus isn't going anywhere. So, I mean, it's something that, you know, nobody has control over, but you have like billion-dollar owners who, you know, want that product on the field and they want to get some revenue in their pockets as opposed to taking a huge loss. A lot of teams, every team will. Um, but yeah, I, with, with what BC said, I just NBA season, unless they can get some something drastic has to happen. But I just think you're putting so much risk towards like the players, you know, rushing just to crown the championship. You know, if you, if you come back in July or June or whatever, when does the next season start? Yeah. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, how, you, how far are you pushing that back? You know, we already had the, uh, you know, we already had a season start in December, um, one year after the lockout. And, you know, we saw how bad that was. You know, and, and you know, if you start in December, you're trying to get 82 games in. So now, you know, the same thing where they try to, you know, stretch out, you know, stretch up guys playing, you know, back-to-backs and, you know, four games or five nights, all of that stuff. Now you're going to have to really compress it just to get them 82 in, just to get back on the regular schedule. And so, like, and that's my whole thing. Like, if you try to start this up in the summer, you're going to push every season from there on back, back, and then you're going to have overlap with, you know, you're going to have basketball overlapping with baseball, and you have basketball overlapping with football, and it's like, Nah, like for what? Because all of those seasons really have their own, like when you think about it, they all have their own 
TV time. They all got their own viewership. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not, you know, when we get into basketball and football, football is already in the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? It's not like really the regular season too much or it's, it's winding down. You know, baseball pretty much got the whole summer to itself. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, it, it did, I mean, you're talking about rescheduling, like, stadium events because these stadiums just don't hold basketball games. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a whole lot of things that you that has to change, not just on the NBA side. Yeah, I know the state of California, the governor already canceled all concerts uh, in his state for, the, for 2020 and said they won't happen possibly until April of 2021. So it's definitely unprecedented what we're looking at with the cancellation of all types of big events and scheduling with uh, stadiums and things of that nature. Uh, also, you have to think about even if they tried to start up the playoffs, like you said, in June and July, we're talking about possibly teams having to operate with a playoff, but at the same time, get ready for a draft. Because if that took place, the plan is, according to Woj, is that the draft will take place before the playoffs, which would be unprecedented in itself. So, man, we're just in strange times, man. And I yeah. understand from an economic standpoint how all of these leagues are trying to find a way to not only appease the fans, but appease the pockets of the ownership and the investors. But uh, not at the, you know, not with all the health concerns, man. It's not Listen, working. Man, ain't, nobody making, ain't nobody making no money right now. Yeah, no, that's what all. it is. At all. And like, I mean, and even if you bring, I mean, even if you bring the league back, you're still not making as much money as you would have been if you had an arena full of fans. So it's right. like, you're not going to win either way. So you might as well just kill it, put protocols in, you know, for going into the following season and just, and just running from that. Now, I will say, I think a lot of this stuff is probably, I mean, I'm, I'm the type of person who agrees with Aaron on the side of the of caution, but then at the same time, I think a lot of this stuff is just overkill. It's a lot of panic involved too. Um, that I think you know just heightens people's fears. So I think that's that's also playing into it. But I mean, you, I mean, you scare people to the point now where like they feel like their lives will never be normal again. So like now you got to deal with that. Right. So it's just it's just a bunch of stuff, man. Like I mean, I agree that we should try to get back to normal as quickly as possible, as smartly as possible. But then at the same time, like. Some of the stuff is just really over here. Oh, man. According to sources, I got my guys, man, Brian Crawford, Chris Kaysen. Let's go ahead and talk about the NBA. They're trying to figure out the season, and quite possibly the NBA might be making a huge dent in the NCAA. Of course, with the tournament being canceled, we saw the situation with James Wiseman in Memphis earlier this year where they held him out. It was a 10-game suspension, and he eventually told Anthony Hardaway and the Memphis program that he was going to go ahead and forego his freshman year and go right into the draft and start preparing for the draft. Uh, number one player in high school, Jalen Green, said he was going to the G League yesterday. He's not going to be going to college, and he was also a commit to Memphis. So that's another big-time player that Penny Hardaway loses out of that Memphis program. Just a list of guys that have done this, Mitchell Robinson of the Knicks, Anthony Simons for Portland, Darius Baisley, Jalen Leck, LaMelo Ball, who went over to Australia. You had James Wiseman, as I mentioned, RJ Hampton, who went over to New Zealand, and then Jalen Green. So is this a trend that we're going to continue to see with these, these high schoolers taking their own future in their own hands and just going ahead and prepare for what is professional basketball in the G League or somewhere overseas and to uh, get paid or 
Do you think college basketball can recover? Uh, also, uh, I believe Jawan Howard lost uh, a five-star recruit, big man Isaiah Todd, decommitted from Michigan and decided to go uh, overseas to play basketball as well. And that took them from being number four in recruiting services all the way outside of the top mm-hmm. ten. So, man, I think we're watching uh, change happen. I, mean, I don't. I don't think it's going to hurt college basketball at all. I mean, because, you know, you talking about guys, you know, highly ranked players, um, you know, who are good enough to basically play professional ball and, and, and don't want to have to go to college. But that's not going to be everybody. You right. know what I'm saying? Like you said, you got to fill a team. There's still going to be guys out there that have to go to college. You know, the elite guys, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously you always want to see guys like a Zion Williams, you know, or, you know, you wanted to see, um, you know, an Isaiah Todd, you know, and you wanted to see a Jalen Green in college, you know, play at Memphis, you know what I'm saying? So, and then, you know, it ain't no, it ain't even really no guarantee of no national championship, you know right. what I'm saying? So what is the point? Like, you know, I feel like if a guy has the talent and the ability out of high school to go and make some money playing ball, he should do that, you know, wherever that might be, you know, if it's going to be in the G League, if it's going to be in Australia, if it's going to be in China, if it's going to be New Zealand, go ahead, go and get your paper. Yeah. And then come back and try to get into the league. But that might be over 400 guys that play college basketball, if not more than that. So it's not going to – I mean, I mean, it'll hurt that they might lose some marquee guys, but the college game is still going to – I mean, it's still going to be what it is. Yeah, I think it takes, you know, some of, like, the five-star recruits, you know, out of, like, the big-name programs. But, I mean, even you look at, like, the Sun Devils in Arizona State just uh, got a kid to commit. So, I think, like, um, you know, like those big-name guys, I think most of them will matriculate to, you know, this G League you know, developmental program just because, you know, the money is there and you basically can get acclimated to pro-life as quickly as possible. I mean, when you look at the money some of these colleges are paying the big-name kids, like under the table, that's right along, you know, the bread that they're getting anyway. So why, why would I go there, have to go to class, have to wake up at whatever time, you know, and deal with that when I could just basically go right into simulating myself into pro-life and, you know, and then I, I read, you know, some parts of the program, you know, they would still pay for college later. So, I mean, you still have you still have that option to go back to school with the big name programs. But the NCAA is a billion dollar business. So March Madness, once that rolls around, that's when all eyes are tuned in. And I think you'll still have some of very good three, four star recruits that, you know, still get. You know, Buzz, you'll still be tuning in to like a CBS or, you know, college game, Jay, just to see some of these big name matchups. But I think this is ushering a change where like a lot of guys will start, you know, foregoing college. It'll just be like the larger names. Um, I definitely can tell you right now. I'm trying to get enough to go make (laughs) $150,000 to go hoop out of high school. Now I'm saying. My son is good enough to make a hundred million dollars over in Australia. No, man, go get that money. We come back over here and we figure it out. Right, right. I can tell you now, Imani Bates is not going to college. Just can't see it. I can't see it. I think he's going to be. Nah, not nah, he won't. He, 
Not anymore. He won't even nope. see it. Actually, I think that kid might be the one who basically gets rid of it. He gets the rid of rule. the rule. Yeah, he gets rid of the rule. I can see that. I can see that happening. All right, man. No, yeah, I think he gets rid of it. He kills it. According to sources, man, three guys, man. Before we go, the one question before they start this last dance series: Give me the moment in the midst of that championship run where you felt like, oh snap, we might not get this done. Was there a moment in that the last season? In that run, the whole six championship run, where you felt like, oh man, I don't know if we're gonna win it this year. I'll start it off. I'll go ahead and start yeah, it off. Mine is ninety-eight, game seven, Eastern Conference Finals. Pacers go up fifteen early in that game. And Mike's shooting was off. The team just looked off. And I literally was sitting there like, this might, this might be it. This might be it. At the UC, Pacers up fifteen. Second quarter, game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, I never had no doubt. Like, I never doubted Michael Jordan. Like, I never did. You know what I'm saying? Every time every time he got out there, I expected him to win. Um, that Seattle series, probably the one I thought they could have lost, actually. Mm. I mean, I think I think that was – that's the one that had worried me because, man, they, that team was loaded, bro. I'm talking about top yeah. and bottom and, like yeah. – Man, they was playing defense. They were scoring. And it was like it was just bad matchups all over the floor for them. And, you know, they 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 pushed the Bulls. You know, that wasn't – I think that might have been the one series where Michael Jordan had, like, his lowest, like, uh, scoring average in, like, a finals or something like that, being right. guarded by Gary Payton. Obviously, I mean, they won. But I thought, I thought, um, I thought the Seattle series was probably one that could have got away from them. It didn't, but I thought it could have. That's, that's the only time. I really thought like they had a challenge, but in the East, I didn't really see nobody like really pushing them in the East. I mean, the Knicks was tough, um, you know, the Pacers was tough, but Mike had beat up on them guys so much, man. Like he was already in their head. Yeah. But you know, when you come to the finals, when you know it ain't no more basketball after that, yeah, that that Seattle series was the one that really got me. Yeah, I can't really see any moment where I really had like any like serious doubt at all i mean you go back to like the one where i think i was the one time where i actually worried in the final series was i think you know the flu game because you're hearing all these reports the beginning of the game that this guy's just drained like he has nothing to give and then the game starts and it's like as soon as he basically stepped on the floor and as soon as the ball touched his hand i mean he was i still don't know how he managed to play like through that because he you could just you no, know, you could look at somebody and just tell like they have nothing in them. I have no idea what was pushing that guy like at all during that game. But I can't really. I mean, it was, watching the Bulls in the playoffs was always like a movie. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you have your protagonist, your antagonist, to that climax to where you wonder what's going to happen, and then the good guy always like any doubt. And I remember a series where I was actually worried at all. And even with the flu game, they still had game seven back at the crib. Even right. if they lost it, you know what I'm saying? Like, they weren't going to lose in Chicago. It was not game seven. Right. Well, I'm like you guys, man. I just It was just an eerie feeling, man, that game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals for me in 98 of that last dance series. And I can't wait to see that episode where they kind of talk about that game and uh, – everything because i think that team eventually the next year they ended up playing was it the next year that the pacers ended up playing 
the Lakers for the championship, or was that two years later? That was 2000, right? Well, it was Pacers, Lakers. Maybe it was two years. And that might have been yeah, two years later. Yeah, yeah. like two years later. Yeah. yeah, so they eventually made it, and they definitely gave the Bulls a run, taking up seven games there. That was the year of the Reggie Miller push-off, too, on Memorial Day. Oh, yeah, I remember that game. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. according, according to sources, three dudes from the game, love the game, talking about the game. Thank you. Go follow according to sources. Available on all platforms, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can go get your podcast, go follow us and listen to all our previous podcasts, man. We'll talk to you guys later.